Oh, what a warm welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Kimberly. Um, this is kind of like a, a homecoming for us because uh, were you born in East Auckland? Kind of born, raised, lived pretty much or grew up here, McLean's College Girl. Um, I've spent the, uh, the largest chunk of my life in East Auckland as well. I went to Pakaranga College and our kind of home church in this area is Howitt Community Church. Um, now down in Picton Street at the Picton Centre. They redeemed uh, Longview Lounge. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, they had a similar journey to you guys. They started in a very, very small um, spot near Highland Park and then they went to Howick Primary uh, for a few years and then they went to McLean's College Hall for a few years, about 10 years at McLean's College and then the Picton uh, Street site became available. So um, quite familiar with uh, meeting in a church. And obviously uh, we have some church connections through the Buckleys and, and my wife actually knows Grant from way back as well. And then wife's... I not <laughs> <laughs> Then YFC connections. Are you on there? Yeah. Um, so I was very involved. I came to Christ in the kind of mid-80s here and um, Youth for Christ was in its heyday. Quite a privilege to be a part of it over those years. And uh, so I know Lee and Denise and Glenn and some of those people that were involved in that time. It's a real pleasure to, to be here. Um, so you will see um, on your seats a little girls, if we could just grab you up the front here, or two of our three. You'll see on your seats a little quiz, and uh, we would like to begin, um, we've kind of got three parts to, uh, to our time today. Uh, the first part is more focusing on Turkey, but the second two parts are more focusing on what it means to um, discover the missional heart of God, and, so we're, and we're going to look at some mission trends around the world. So we'll, we'll go through that, but while many of you probably haven't done this yet, and we do have a few little prizes, so we're going to give you um, about one minute to quickly, you can work in pairs if you want to, but if you win the prize, you must share the prize, uh, and you've got like one minute to try and answer as many of those questions as you can. Okay, and while you do that, our girls are going to sing a song in Turkish. It's a worship song written um, by some new believers in Turkey. Yeah. How did you go? Pins down, hands on heads. I am a high school teacher by profession. No, uh, I am actually. Uh, so, 
just in terms of the, uh, the places, I'm going to put up a map. Uh, that's our family. I wasn't sure whether they were all going to be here, hence. So in terms of the places, I'm not sure how you went here, but Istanbul is that top left one. We have Izmir over, over here. Uh, Tarsus is there, Gaziantep, and Antioch is just under Iskenderun there, and I think that's all of them, isn't there? Oh, oh no, I just spilt some water. I did, I did, sorry. <laughs> and Ankara, the capital, is in the middle right there. Did anyone get all of those correct? Oh, go, go. Hold your hand up if you got all of those correct. That is very impressive. Give that woman a hand. Have you been to Turkey before? Oh, okay. When did you go? A while ago. That's good memory. Very good. Very good. Okay. So to the multi-choice. So, so the first, the first one. Uh, the population of Turkey. Who would like to stab a guess at that one? The current official population. You need to offer an answer if you want a chocolate. Uh, we can give this guy a chocolate. It's not officially 80 million, but it's, it could be pretty close to that now. It's one down. So the official at the moment is 75, but it's been a few years since they've had the census, so the unofficial is pretty close to 80 million. Okay, uh, number two, the numbers of believers. So MBB stands for Muslim Background Believers. They were Muslims following Islam, the locals there, now they've become Christians. So we're not talking about Greek Orthodox, we're not talking about Armenian and these other groups in Turkey, we're talking Turkish, Kurdish, Arab, Muslim background believers. Anyone want to guess how many are in Turkey today? Yes. Uh, no, but we can give her a chocolate because she was brave enough to put up her hand. No, it's not that high. It's not that high. I need to see a hand. No, I need to see a hand, yes. Um, we'll, give, we'll, give, we'll give our sound guy... Uh, it's actually... That's not one of the options. <laughs> Four to five thousand, okay? Four to five thousand. Now you think, 80 million people, 80 million people, four to five thousand believers. It's not a lot. In the 1960s, we knew of about this many, four or five in the whole country. So praise God, now there's four or five thousand, 40 years later, but that's still not a lot. So keep praying for Turkey. Um, number three should read biblical places in Turkey, not paces, but... Uh, any ideas? Higher than 12? Need to see a hand. Come on, come on. Higher than 24. <laughs> what could it be? What could it be? 31. 31 places in, the, in, in your Bibles are in current day Turkey. That's about half your New Testament is in current day Turkey. And the last one, um, kind of all of those have a connection with Turkey. Paul was born in Tarsus, where we had the pleasure of living for a few years. Um, Noah, you remember he landed on Mount Ararat, as we understand, that is in current day Turkey. Um, King Midas of the Midas Touch, that story comes from 
Turkey before it was called Turkey, from the land of Turkey. And St. Nicholas, Christmas Day, according to the World Authority of 1ZB um, News, um, Leighton Smith, St. Nicholas and you know, Turkish uh, historians say that that story comes from central Turkey as well. So there you go. Okay, so I'm going to hand over to my wife at the moment, a little kind of intro to... Now I'm just going to talk you through um, a bit of our time in Turkey, where we went, where we stayed and what we did. So we've got the map up here and you'll see marked these three places. We began in Istanbul. We went there in 1998. Uh, we were in Istanbul for two and a half years and those, that first period, um, especially that first two years, was focused on language learning and cultural adaptation. And that was about all we could really manage as well. Very intense time of finding your feet in this completely foreign environment, heading off to language school, having language helpers in our home, and just trying to come to terms with what it meant to be a believer in that context, um, to really fit in and become effective communicators of the gospel. We then moved to Tarsus, which Eric showed you there. Um, so we were there for five years. One of the first um, foreign families, there was another couple that had arrived, another family, just a couple of months before us into Tarsus. And then we moved from, uh, sorry, after Tarsus, we actually came back to New Zealand for five years. And then we returned to Turkey again, and we went to the city of Gaziantep. And we were there for three years. Okay, so our heart was to see people come to Christ and to see them become uh, churches become families of believers, communities of believers. So obviously that begins with widespread sowing of the gospel, getting the message of Christ out there and seeing people have that opportunity to choose to follow Christ. So for the most part, we didn't have the privilege necessarily of seeing people make the decision to come to Christ, but we were a part of moving them on that journey towards him. Uh, this was a, oh, that was an outreach in, in the park that we were involved with, Brianna talking to some inquirers there. So in the city of Gaziantep in particular, and in Tarsus actually, we also received contacts from the Bible Correspondence Course. This would be advertised in local papers, seeing, asking if people were uh, interested in reading the Bible, hearing about Christianity, and we would be sent um, the contacts of people in our area who had shown some interest and we would be able to follow them up. Otherwise, friendship evangelism, just being with people, um, taking every opportunity to share and discuss Christ with them. Turks love to talk about spiritual things. That's one thing that's very different to our culture here. They love to engage um, and tell us why we're wrong, but at least that provides an opportunity and, and an entry point in to talk about Christ. Again, very, very hospitable people. When, it, when you turn up on a Turkish door, they, they don't kind of... They don't open the door and wait to hear why you're there. Their very first comment is, Buyrun, come in, come in. And in many cases, you actually don't want to come in. You just want to give a, a quick message. But immediately, they want you in. And obviously, they feed you extremely well. The food is marvellous. And in this environment, the conversations would be about all sorts of things. But very often, they would turn to the subject of you know, spiritual matters and would provide opportunities for sharing about the Lord. Professional skills, wonderful opportunities to use your professional skills in many environments. And Eric, as he said, is a high school teacher by profession, um, and he didn't employ those skills in all of his time in Turkey, but obviously you can't go into Turkey as a missionary. And so um, this time when we were in Gaziantep, Eric taught first of all in a private school for a few years, and no, not a few years, one year, and then he was in a university teaching English 
And in this instance, he found his old YFC games and skills well employed with um, some of the Turkish students during a holiday camp. This, um, so I'm just going to say, while, you know, while he's in there in a professional capacity, every other day he was being pushed by his students to explain what his faith meant. And you know, many, of, you know, many times in the classroom he was trying to bring the class back on track, or at the very least he would require that they conducted these conversations about faith in English, so at least it could still tick a box. Obviously he needed to be very careful, but it was just thrilling to see the hunger and, um, and the interest amongst these students to hear about the Lord. We were, um, the banner that I guess we put over all of our ministry was church planting. So we wanted to see people come to Christ, obviously, to make that personal choice. But we wanted to see them become a part of a fellowship, become a part of the family of God. This particular meeting um, kind of swelled numbers a wee bit. It was an Easter meeting. Um, so we had neighbours and friends and, and a number of folk together. Um, but actually, still not a lot of people coming to Christ. The church is still pretty small. Um, we only saw two people in that three years um, make a firm decision to follow the Lord. But 12, the previous five years in, in Tarsus, so it can change, but yeah. still small numbers, yeah. Yeah, so the church, while it is still very small, as you know by the numbers we've told you this morning, it is maturing. We're beginning to see second generation believers, which is such a delight. Um, you know, to see these children who've been born into Christian homes and just with that greater level of maturity and that much more established in their faith. Um, the photos of the three at the bottom there were, um, they were martyred about eight years ago now. One was our German co-worker and two Turkish believers. So it doesn't happen a lot, that level of persecution, but it is still very, very real to choose to follow Christ from a Muslim background is to make a, a real choice to be ostracised in your community, to have difficulty finding employment, to just not fit in in a culture that is very, very communal. I mean, we don't really get that because we are so individualistic here, but the choice to follow Christ is very, very costly. And in some cases, it does cost people their lives. So why do a, a few people from East Auckland head all the way across to Turkey of all places. Um, my wife has a Turkish aunt, so there was a Turkish connection there. We did our cross-cultural mission training in Australia and there are some quite large Turkish communities there that we got to spend time with and God used those times to put Turkey on our heart. Also, each week there were different kind of missionaries coming through the Bible College with different organisations and places, and, and Turkey really grabbed both of us at that point. Um, we've talked about the history, incredible spiritual history, amazing privilege to, to live in a land like this. Um, also, there was just the huge need that was massive as well, and um, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, and there was a um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's, there's kind of like a really strong bond between Turkey and New Zealand through the Gallipoli story. So here we were, you know, 100 years ago, traipsing off to take their land <laughs> under the British, but through it all, the incredible respect um, between those guys in the trenches, and they, they still don't like the British, <laughs> but there's a love for the Anzacs, for the Australians and New Zealanders, which was embedded by the first president of Turkey um, when Turkey became a republic just after that first world war. But again, it kind of begs the question, why go to one of these kind of places? 
what I'd like to do is just do a little object lesson with you guys. So we're going to go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. I'm not going to embarrass you. Can you come and stand here in a line facing that way? So 10 people representing the whole of the world. Okay, each of them is 10% of the world population. I hope I got my numbers right. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, yep. When you think of the Christians in the world, people who have access to the gospel, maybe there's a Bible in their language, there are churches around them, there are, there's, they can easily find the message and they say, yep, I've heard of Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I call myself a follower. How many people would that represent here? Each is 10%. Two, I hear a two. Any more on two? <laughs> it's not as high as six. We could, we could say three. Three, uh, roughly a third of the world, three out of every 10 people say that, call themselves a follower of Jesus. Now that's rubbish, but that's official because the New Zealand census has just recently gone under 50%. The last census had us at 60-something percent in New Zealand saying I'm a Christian. Ridiculous, eh? But it's kind of, my dad was an Anglican, my mum's an Anglican, tick the Christian box or whatever, you know? So that's all the Catholics, all the Orthodox, everyone that kind of feels they're born a Christian as well, nominal Christianity. If we're talking evangelical Christianity, one. About, yes, it's you. <laughs> so six, seven, 700 million odd people in the world, okay? Now, the next group, uh, I'll get that up there, just to kind of, I'm a follower. The next group, people who maybe have a little bit less access to the gospel, but they can hear, and they have heard, like my whole family, not including my kids, but they say, thanks, but no thanks. How many people would we be talking? Reasonable access, maybe not as much as, as the first group, but they're not interested. Another two, you think? Let's go another four. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but no thanks. Okay. Which leaves us with these three sad individuals here who, you're talking your Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu heartlands. And we're talking roughly 2 billion, 2.1 billion people. And these people live in places where they can just walk and walk and walk and walk and walk and they'll never come across a church. Over half the provinces in Turkey, 81 provinces, over half of them don't have a group of God's people in the whole province, let alone the city they might be living in. So how are they going to hear? How are they going to see what the church is like? The Turkish... Bible came out in modern day Turkish in the year 2000. 75 million people got their first Bible in the year 2000. <laughs> um, I can remember when um, at one year at Parachute, it teamed down and I stood before, I ran into the manor tent and stood before this wall and it was like 40 different Bibles, you know, the men's, the women's, the youth, the Holy Spirit filled, the this, that, and it was, I even though I was drenched, I was crying, literally, because we'd just got back from Turkey where they'd just received their first Bible, this small fledgling church. And it was like, does God love us so much more that we need another and another and another? 
these resources that just keep coming back to the first group of three. When you think of all the missionaries, there's about 400,000-ish missionaries in the world, 400,000 or so Protestant missionary force. 97% go to this group. 97%. 72% go to the first three. So 72% of all of our missions. 87% of all the missions money. You think of every dollar that comes in for mission, 80 7% of it's going into this group. Another 25% of missionaries are going to, to the next group of four, sorry. And that's another 12% of missions money, which leaves 3% of the missionaries and one, one cent out of every dollar that goes to missions, not to the church, but to missions, goes to the Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu peoples who remain largely unreached. You guys can grab a seat. Thank you. That, that is why um, we felt God calling us to Turkey. <laughs> that is, those are the types of stats that, that God gripped our heart with. Um, that is why we're with an organisation called WEC, which stands for Worldwide Evangelisation for Christ. <laughs> it's very un-PC. Um, our heart for 100 years, uh, just celebrated the centenary for WEC, is to go to these unreached or these least reached peoples and some of them are still quite unengaged which is why like I applaud you guys for picking up with the peace plan because that's very much something on Rick Warren's heart as well where are the unengaged people groups let's put some of our resources and our efforts and our personnel in those places it's not that it's not that the other stuff isn't right it's good it's godly it's kingdom but it's imbalanced can you see this huge imbalance? So I'd like to share with you some of, some of the massive shifts that are happening in the area of mission um, because it's quite an exciting time to be involved these days um, for, for the whole church. Um, I'm just going to uh, whiz through a few things. There was a time when uh, to be involved in mission, you had to go get specialist training and you were like an enthusiast and you'd get sent out from a church like we were from Howard Community and we would kind of be doing mission on behalf of the church and a mission committee back home or something would try and help bridge that gap but it was kind of out there, disconnected, we couldn't really understand it and that still happens in places but now mission is much more from anywhere to everywhere and the way that we understand and engage with mission is much, much broader and more and more people are, are getting involved right through the age range, right around the world. Uh, so, for instance, migration and mobilisation. We're living through probably the, the biggest migration pattern in the history of the world. More people are living outside of the country of their birth than ever before on record. So we've got 200 plus million people around the world living outside of the country of their birth. Can you put your hand up if you were born outside of New Zealand? Look at that. That's the vast majority of the people in this room. Now, that's a lot more than most churches, but that God is doing something there. He's moving the nations around. When I finished at Pakuranga College, 
98%, this is late 80s, 98% looked like me. When I went to teach there a few years, maybe 10 years later, 55% um, English second language, as we know. Um, huge shifts of cultures around the world. Um, for most Western countries, about 10% of their population is um, from migrants uh, for Western countries, but that 10 to 15% accounts for 65% of the growth of that country. Um, because the migrants are the ones having the larger families, obviously. So it means you have situations like in France, where there's over 5 million Muslims, a quarter of all those under 25 are Muslim. Half the babies born in Brussels are Muslim. There are 1 million Chinese in Canada. Um, in Canada, one in six is a migrant. In Australia, the ratio is a bit higher. In New Zealand, it's one in four and a half people are migrants. And in the later census, uh, for the first time in New Zealand's history, we have over a million people born outside of New Zealand living in New Zealand. God is up to something. Okay, now, back in the day when a lot of this started happening, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of ignorance. There was a lot of prejudice. Um, I remember teaching at Mount Roskill Grammar School Colin Prentice from McLean's went across there and he hired me to teach out there. That was the Bible belt of New Zealand. More Christians per head of population than anywhere else in New Zealand. Now, it's the Hindu and Muslim belt of New Zealand. More Hindus and Muslims per square kilometrage than anywhere else. So as these migrants moved in, the Christians moved out. I don't want my kid going to school with a Muslim boy or having a friendship with him. I don't want an imam coming in and uh, doing prayers at the school I send my kids to. My neighbourhood's changing. I don't, I don't, it's not the way it used to be. I don't like the way it looks anymore. I don't want my property values to go down. And on and on it went, and they moved out. And I know certainly in Pakoranga there was lots of ignorance and prejudice, and it was going both ways. I was teaching year 13 um, Tesol there and uh, one task was to speak for five minutes about how you would help someone from your country, what you would say to them before they migrate to New Zealand. One after the other, filmed interviews, five minutes long each for NCEA, etc. The majority of them said, don't come. They'll treat you like this, they'll treat you like this, they'll look at you like this. And I'm thinking, really? <laughs> And I, I, I cried before them and just asked their forgiveness on behalf of New Zealand. Kind of think, wow. Now that's, that's quite a few years ago now, but I don't think we've really dealt with a lot of these things. I, I'm, I'm amazed at the demographics that I see in front of us, but often becoming a multicultural church is quite different to um, having a multicultural demographic and uh, that's something that a lot of churches are starting to notice and, and work through. Uh, yes, so migration. International students, there's three times as many of them as our Muslim population. Soon, within a year or two, the Indian background peoples in New Zealand will go past, numerically, the Chinese background peoples. 
they're the fastest movers in the last census, um, up 48% since the last census. Sikhs are up 108% since the last census. We've got to track these things and see them as a, as a divine opportunity. What is God saying to us? Um, it's not a cause for concern or we don't need to be afraid of it, but we need to ask, how does God want us to be in this? What's he asking of us? Uh, spiritual and religious revival. I don't know if you're aware, but you're living through the greatest spiritual revival on record globally. Okay, so one of the foremost secular authorities on this, not a Christian, said we're in the midst of the greatest spiritual metamorphosis in the history of the world. So not so long ago, the thought was that science, reason, modernity, postmodernity, all these things would um, meet the needs of people, that it would satisfy their impulses and that first the West would become more and more secular and then the rest of the world. It's not happening. Uh, it started to happen, but it's gone back the other way. And maybe you know people that are becoming increasingly spiritual, uh, certainly in New Zealand. They're not necessarily doing it through the church, but it's like a spiritual smorgasbord and they're taking a little bit of Oprah Winfrey and a little bit of Hinduism and a little bit of this and they're calling it their, their faith. Their, um, yeah, and they're looking at you to see if it makes any difference in your lives. One of the reasons we don't see it um, is because a lot of it's happening in other countries. So Hinduism is undergoing a resurgence fueled on by the nationalism um, coming out of India. Islam as well. Uh, every country with a predominantly Muslim, uh, a majority Muslim uh, membership is significantly more Islamic now than what it was 10 to 15 years ago. And secular sociologists and authorities affirm that. Um, one said, to ignore the impact of the Islamic resurgence in the late 20th and early 21st century is equivalent to ignoring the impact of the Protestant Reformation in the late 16th century. So they're saying what happened with the church around Martin Luther and the Reformation where the Protestant arm wing kind of started, it's that significant what's happening in Islam at the moment. Of course, the secularisation thesis isn't a complete flop. There are places where Christian identity and uh, interest is being annihilated, and we can probably think of that in parts of New Zealand and parts of Europe, etc. Only one in five Europeans believe that religion is important to life, and Europe is one of the, the areas of the world that needs re-evangelisation, as does New Zealand. The Czech president once described Europe as the first atheistic civilization in the history of the world. The first atheistic civilization in the history of the world. The new face of Christianity, I'm looking out to it. A hundred years ago, um, in the early 1900s, about 85% of Christians looked like me, globally. European, North American, Australasian, looked like this. Now. Um, about 60 to 65% of 
Christians globally are tinged yellow and brown and black and, and they're coming from Asia, Africa, Latin America. I'm sure you've heard this. Um, not one of the largest uh, megachurches, not one of the 40 largest megachurches is in the West. Instead, they're in places like Indonesia, Nigeria, Korea, Chile, Colombia, El Salvador, Honduras, the Ivory Coast. Um, the vital centres of Christianity are in places like Buenos Aires, Manila, Kinshasa, Addis Ababa. Do we even know where they are? <laughs> the shifts of Christianity, like this... Um, the strength of Christianity is changing, but it's exciting because for the first time in history, Christianity is truly global. It is more global than it has ever been before, and it's quite unique in that sense among the religions. Um, and these people, they're not just strong in their centres, they're exporting their missionaries to different parts of the world and getting quite a lot of success as well. But despite global migration, Despite the growth of the global church, despite all these non-Western background missionaries starting to join the mission force, which is awesome, the least reached are largely remaining so. Those Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu heartlands are largely remaining least reached still. Around 100 years ago, for every one of those people groups, there were maybe 10 churches for each one people group like that. Now in the world, there's something like 600, 60 times as many churches for each people group like that, and yet the vast majority of our programs and finances and personnel keep, keep feeding back into the same areas, and it's, it's something that's really challenging to the church today. So, uh, what about... What about us? Um, bringing it home a little bit more now. Another dis rediscovery, uh, another trend in mission that's quite common this, um, over the last 10 to 15 years is understanding the mission heart of God or the missional nature of God, shall we say. The central theme of the Bible um, describes God's purposes from Genesis to Revelation, from Genesis 12 the story of Abraham right through to Revelation where we get a picture of all these different tribes and tongues and languages all worshipping around the throne. There's over 300 verses throughout scripture that tie that theme together. And uh, it's, we're, we're realising again that God is not just out there doing mission, that God is missionary in his nature, in his character. Jesus doesn't just send his church um, or send in Christian individuals on their mission, but he's trying to connect them to God's mission, to God's very character. Um, South African missiologist David Bosch captured it really well when he said, mission is not primarily an activity or a program of the church. It's not about Kimberley and a few other uh, excited mission people around Kimberley doing mission on behalf of the church. It's an attribute of God. God is missionary. God, the Father, sent the Son. The Father and the Son send the Spirit. 
the triune God is sending the church into the world. So we as, as the church are an instrument of his mission. Um, so if someone asked me, why are you involved in mission? It would be kind of sad if I just said, oh, Matthew 28, the great commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Yes, but it starts with the character of God. I'm into mission because that's who God is in his very nature, and it's a, a big subject in itself. Flowing from that is a mission-shaped church. If that's really God's nature and God's revelation through scripture, then we as his people need to reflect that. So it's not church-shaped mission, it's a mission-shaped church that we need to look after. What would it look like to bring the mission of God into the center of New Hope Community Church so that every aspect of your life and faith community together somehow feeds into and expresses the mission heart of God. Quite often in churches that I've been a part of, we've become preoccupied with facilities, with programs, doing programs better and better and better, trying to bring people in here, into the hub kind of thing. Um, But we need to remember that God's about redeeming all peoples and all spheres of creation, and, and that means that we're sent out to do, to do likewise. The church exists for mission, not mission for or as a department of the church. The church exists for mission, the two to go together like oxygen and breathing. So the early church um, was known as one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic in those early creeds in church history. One holy Catholic, that means like united, and uh, apostolic. That, uh, that noun apostle or the adjective uh, apostolic derived from the Greek, Greek word apostolo, apostello, which means to send. The Latin equivalent is, is mission from which we get the English word missionary. So the apostolic church, which is us, um, is a missionary church in its very nature. And so it's not so much an activity that we do, and I see on your website that you're involved in a whole, whole lot of cross-cultural mission things, and that's fantastic. But what I'm trying to express here is this is an attitude. It's part of who we are rather than an activity or a department that some do and some don't. Um, so it involves us all. We're designed to be his borderless, multi-ethnic, ethnic, missional community. Um, as we engage in his mission, we're also changed in the process. Um, mission is a, a gift to the church in that sense. As we get involved with God's mission, it inspires us, it energizes us, it shapes us, it transforms us into his own um, mission-shaped nature. If you remember, 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen people, you are a holy priesthood, Um, you are a holy nation set apart for God. Um, So that, what's the purpose of that? So that that people will see your light, so that people will know the goodness of God. And, you know, in the olden days, or in the ancient church or uh, faith community times, that holy priesthood kind of did stuff on behalf of the people, representing the people to God and representing God to the people. 
and only some people were chosen with special clothes and special routines, etc., rhythms to life. But now, Peter is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we are the holy priesthood. We are the ones that are the priests before the nations, before all people, and we're all involved in that. So we come to a mission-shaped me. Um, My generation uh, loves this pick-and-mix spirituality and uses terms like journey and um, and it's trying to see where God fits into our journey, etc. But um, a writer that I really love from Britain called Chris Wright urges us um, to ask, where does my little life fit into the great story of God's mission? I may wonder what kind of mission God has for me when I should ask what kind of me God wants for his mission. My job, my studies, my resources, my time. They're all to be about his mission and for his mission and to his mission. How can my profession um, be used for God's mission? How can I bring God's heart to reach all peoples into my sphere of work or or, um, studies? And the peace plan kind of talks about that. It's very much like it has aspects of church planting, aspects of ministering to the poor. And, and that's when we go to these unengaged, unreached people groups, many of whom live as our neighbours now. Uh, a lot of them are in their places of origin coming from very poor backgrounds as well. Like some of the, the poorest of the poor regions are in these unreached regions. So we're kind of dovetailing things. So to wrap up, um, like it's, these are really exciting times, very exciting times. You live at a time that no one has uh, experienced before in the area of mission. Um, the way that the global realities are at the moment, we have, without exaggeration, the greatest potential for mission mobilisation ever. And so we're seeing people right through the age range, right across cultures, Um, head out and be involved in different ways. And some are learning how to do it here and getting trained to go across cultures with the gospel in this context. Um, A few months ago, we were up at Gateway Church here in East Auckland doing some some workshops. Um, Early next year, we're gonna be at St. Columba doing some workshops because they wanna learn how do we reach our Muslim neighbours? How do we reach our Buddhist neighbours? Et cetera, et cetera. What, What are these Sikhs about? Where does the gospel connect with that? Where do you start with scripture? How do you answer the questions that kind of come from their worldview? Um, Important things for us to get our head around. The opportunities abound. Um, My question for you guys collectively and individually is where do you fit into all of this? Um, And let's not allow it to just be a few people doing it on your behalf, um, either here or overseas. Where do you, plural, Uh, fit into this and I'm sure that's a conversation that um, the Buckleys and other leadership here would love to um, to have with you guys can I invite my girls or my family back up we're going to close with a song the song is um, the Lord's Prayer which you know um, from the book of Matthew but it's written up here in Turkish so this is quite a um, a favourite of ours Um, it's Turkish kind of rhythms and stuff And 
We're going to um, just sing it to you. And if you like, you can follow the Turkish, but it won't mean anything. Um, but what I encourage you to do is to think about the question I just asked. What do all these mission trends mean for you? What kind of opportunity is God giving you? If, if God is really missional in his nature, and if the church is meant to be likewise, what does that mean for new hope as it continues to try and join God on his mission? Um, the Lord's Prayer talks about his kingdom coming on earth. And may that be our prayer as well. May God's kingdom come to our city, come to our community and, and flow around the earth. May it be here as it is in heaven. Uh, may his power and glory and renown be known throughout all the earth. So while we sing, can you guys just reflect and see what the Lord might want to say? Gelsin senin gökte yerde arzun olsun günden Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to explore something of, of your mission that you've been about throughout history and among all peoples. And we pray that we would get it, that we would have the joy one day of standing in heaven and hearing all those different languages, worshipping you around the throne, that we'll, that we'll get it in the here and now, and that you'll show us how we individually and as families and as a faith community can join you in your mission to redeem all peoples to, and to see your kingdom established in every place for all of creation to find um, its health in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I just want to take this time to say an enormous thank you to Eric, uh, Dear, Madison, Brianna and Isabel. Can you just put your hands together and say thank you? Thank you for your singing. 
Thank you for your voices. They were just beautiful. They were just lovely. Thank you for blessing us. You know what Eric shared as part of the peace plan, and we know it stands for planting churches, equipping servant leaders, assisting the poor, caring for the sick, and educating the next generation. What he shared, planting churches, that's it. That's the heart of what we're here for. He quoted Christopher Wright, and Christopher Wright said, God's not got a mission for the church. He's got a church for the mission. This is it. This is what we're here for. This is God's purpose for our lives, to be right in the centre of putting it out there. So I hope you take to heart Eric's words. They are pivotal. Out of all the things that we do, assisting, caring, equipping, sending, it's about Jesus. It's about the centre of the mission of our church. So thank you for listening. Please feel free to catch up with any of the family, Adair and Eric. There's some information at the table if you want to find out more about worldwide evangelism for Christ. Okay, I got it. Whack. Have you got that? Whack. So thank you so much, family. They've journeyed up from Hamilton to see us. So thank you for leaving your home early and coming to be with us. We just appreciate that.